It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Tuesday, August 18th, the Talk to the Teacher edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, eight, Oliver, six, and Teddy, three, and I'm located in Navarre, Florida. Hi, I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. On today's show, we'll be talking with Brandon Hersey and Amy Scott from Slate's Ask a Teacher column about how to best communicate with your child's teacher and build a relationship with them for a successful school year. Before we get to that, we have triumphs and fails. Jamila, do you have a triumph or fail for us? So I'm going to give you all, I'll I'll do it historical. I guess we'll call it a triumph. It's very on brand for me, and I think it's loosely connected to our, our topic this week, talking to teachers about how to communicate with them and advocate on behalf of our parents, even though my parents were not in this story at all. When I was in third grade, I was in the lunch, I must say there was like, maybe it was lunchtime. And there was a girl named Lindsay who I had a kind of on again, off again, front of me relationship with. And I guess we were off on this day. And so like, Maybe she'd hit me or something. She'd done something wrong. This took and a turn there was fast. a little bit, Yeah. There so there's a little bit of commotion and the gym teacher who was like the lunch monitor observed what happened, you know, comes over. Lindsay immediately like comes I think she pretended to cry or something, like comes up with the whole story about something I'd done wrong. And we were both sent to the wall. I hate the wall. I hope that's something that I I, I know it's become a lot less popular than it was when we were kids. But like just standing on the wall during a lunch period or during gym class or in a classroom, just standing is punishment, which really sucks for so many reasons. So here I was unjustly sentenced to spend my lunchtime on the wall. And I think maybe I had like a really tasty lunch that day because my lunches were hit or miss. But sometimes my mom would like put spaghetti and cheese in my ducktails thermos and I'd be really happy to have a good warm meal, you know, in the middle of the day. And so Lindsay stops her fake crying and laughs. She looks at me and she laughs. And I'm like, oh, absolutely not. So instead of trying to argue with the teacher, I just walked off the wall. I just walked straight to the office And I explained that I was a victim of an injustice. (laughs) And I don't know how I didn't get in trouble for this. Maybe the fact that I was able to leave unnoticed might have (laughs) kind of, you know, changed up the stakes a little bit. Because one could argue, why didn't you notice that this girl left and went like the equivalent of like a city block away (laughs) to get to the office? But I went and I advocated for myself. And that wasn't something that was always easy for me to do as a kid. I'm actually, when I think back on it, I'm like, yeah, this is on brand for me as an adult. But as a kid, I so often, you know, a teacher would say something sarcastic or mean or, you know, hurt my feelings in some way. And I wouldn't even want to tell my parents because I'd be embarrassed, you know. But in that moment, I was like, not today. And I went in the office and was like, look, Lindsay said I hit her. I did not. They put me on the wall. This isn't fair. And I think somehow I was able to overcome this injustice. I think I was just brought back to my seat. 
But you did not have to stay on the wall. You rescued yourself. I rescued myself. And I'm pretty sure that by the time it was settled and somebody could like bring me back to the lunchroom, lunch was over. Uh, I think that's exactly how it ended, that it was like, okay. And there was a little bit of knowledge that my mom was kind of that mom. So I was like, well, you just hold on a second. Somebody will take you back to lunch in a minute. And it was over. The difference between having to stand on the wall when you know you shouldn't and spending that time advocating for yourself is important. I it is. This. And I got to sit sitting in the office with something that, you know, unless you were in trouble, most kids enjoy yeah. getting to see what was going on, who's going home early, yeah. you know, what kind of teacher <laughs> gossip can I pick up on? So, yes, that was me standing up for myself in 1993. A, l- what about a little you, glimpse, a little glimpse of... Uh, of you now from little Jamila. So yes. I have a fail, which comes from my time being a parent in the Netherlands. So the kids came home for lunch, but we had to send a snack in. And of course, like I had no idea what, like, I don't, our, do schools here, do you send a snack in? Like, so we had to pack a little lunch box with a snack. And so I sent in some popcorn because Jeff and I like put a little cob in a paper bag and pop it and it's whole grains, right? So mm-hmm. whole grains and maybe some apple slices, like something like that. Well, Henry came home and told us that his snack had been like taken from, like when I picked him up for lunch, he was like, I'm starving. My snack was taken from me. And I was like, who took oh, your yeah. snack? And he's like, the teacher took my snack. And I'm like, what? So when you take them back from lunch, there's like a time to chat with the teacher. But our teacher felt that if she just spoke Dutch to me all the time, that I would eventually understand her and speak Dutch back. Mm. So she like rattles off something in Dutch and I'm like, I have no idea. And so eventually when I come to pick him up, this like note comes home and I use Google Translate to translate it. And it says something to the effect of like, popcorn is not the health for your body. Snack must be for your body. And so I'm like, Okay, so I, like, ask another parent who speaks Dutch to, like, come with me. And turns out, like, first of all, the teachers don't even monitor a snack. It's, like, parents that come in so the teachers can have a break. And so this parent had seen this popcorn. And in the Netherlands, the popcorn is, like, caramel corn. Like, any popcorn you would have bought is caramel corn. I'm like, okay. And I'm, like, trying to explain to them that, like, our popcorn is not this. And she's like, well, I can't tell the difference, so he can't bring this. And I... You know, it was like, I wanted to, like, advocate that we are not these, like, terrible Americans sending in caramel corn for this child's sustenance. But I also just sort of realized, like, okay, this is, I don't speak the language. I clearly don't understand. So we we just didn't send that in. And so I asked, like, well, what am I supposed to, to send in? And she tells me a piece of bread with butter and sprinkled with hagelschlag, which is like chocolate sprinkles. So for the rest of his time, I sent this in and I was incredibly... But I'm still bitter about it, right? Like I can't send yeah. my whole grain popcorn, but I can send in a sprinkle sandwich. But just because it felt like this is not really the time to like, who am I advocating for? Right? Like, I don't need to be right. I know I'm right in the popcorn battle. I don't need to be right. right. But like, I'm never gonna teach this Dutch woman that our popcorn is not laced Sugary. with sugar. So instead, I'm just gonna send in this, this sugar sugar sandwich. But it's with, you know, bread and butter. We have a guest. We have a guest. Henry, tell them about a Hagelschlag sandwich. It's super good with chocolate sprinkles and butter to hold the chocolate sprinkles on. And they come in blue, pink, white, brown, dark brown, light brown. It's true. And milk chocolate. And milk chocolate. (laughs) What is it? Does it taste like a sweet roll? Like a cinnamon roll or something? Or a donut? Yes. Yeah, donut. Donut (laughs) with sprinkles. 
Yeah, a sprinkled donut. Sprinkled donut. donut. Yeah. You have it from him. No popcorn, but donut bread. Totally, totally fine. What are you going to do? What are you going to (laughs) do? Send the donut bread. That's what you do. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right. Well, let's move on to today's listener question. It's being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, my 11-year-old is starting at a new school this year, and I want to have a great relationship with her teacher, because that hasn't been the case thus far. You see, my daughter is really shy and has a hard time asserting herself, which has led to some less than pleasant experiences with both classmates and teachers. And as a lifelong, assertive, outspoken, and fierce defender of folks who don't speak up for themselves, who just happens to be her mom... Well, let's just say I may have defended her a little too fiercely in the past. Can you please provide me some tips for building an alliance with her teachers early on and how to step in on her behalf when absolutely necessary? I don't want to be known as that mom at our new school. Thanks. Here with us today is Amy Scott, who's an eighth grade English teacher in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. We also have Brandon Hersey, who teaches second grade in Federal Way, Washington, and is also on the Seattle School Board. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you guys here. I want to start with you guys giving advice for how this parent can approach their teachers and be the teacher's ally. Absolutely. So I think that the key piece here is communication. And I think that what any educator will tell you from our experience with closures last year is that engagement and communication are two of our biggest woes, right? So when we're thinking about what all it takes to make a classroom run, all of that is kind of thrown out of the window when we're thinking about distance learning. And so constant, clear communication and being available is a big piece of that. But then we as educators also need to do our part in making sure that we are accommodating, understanding that many of our students' families don't have the luxury to quarantine. And if they do, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're available to problem solve what their kid is doing on the Zoom at every instance, right? So I think there's going to be a little bit of give and take and a little bit of reimagining what our relationships and what our communication styles should be, especially during these times of COVID and closure and what have you. But I think really critically thinking about how do we traditionally communicate in two-way fashions between parents and educators will be key. Totally agree. The communication is going to be the key. And what's different this year, of course, is, you know, I, I always do a lot of email communication, but there are certainly times when you run into parents in the office or, you know, they come to pick up their kid and you just chat with them or they're going through car line, you have these opportunities to have these face-to-face interactions that you're just not going to have, at least at the beginning of this year. And and those provide something that email does not, of course, just a connection that email does not. And so, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, I, ha- I feel like I haven't made phone calls to parents very much in the last few years, because, you know, with email, you have a better record of what was said and all that. But I'm thinking, 
how valuable it might be just to talk to some people on the phone and or Zoom with parents, you know, just so you have those face-to-face meetings where you can glean a lot of information from not just their words, but their their demeanor, their body language, all that. You talked a little bit about having like that initial contact and like phone and email, but mm-hmm. do you like it when a parent comes comes to you? Like initially, is there some kind of like grace period that we should be giving teachers in those first few weeks, especially this year, teacher? Or like, is it reach out as much as, <laughs> as we want? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really good question. For me, it's not that deep. I think what I would really rather have (laughs) is consistency. So what I do at the beginning of the year is I ask all of my families, okay, how do you prefer to be contacted? Is it text? Is it phone? Is it email? And then I put all the folks who want text in one group, so on and so forth. The biggest thing is that like when a parent midstream changes their mind and say, actually, I would prefer to like get phone calls and things like that. And I'm happy to accommodate. I think that what I would really like to see on both ends is consistency Mm. and like just making sure that we are having, you know, clear and present conversations on, you know, is our communication system working as it is? And if not, what do we both need to do to be able to make that better? Brandon, the letter writer has a slightly older child. They're 11. So they could be going into fourth or fifth grade. I'd like to hear some tips for how to balance this relationship or to have a healthy relationship with your child's teachers when you have a younger child. You're a second grade teacher. I have a second grader. And right. I will admit, I, I imagine from what the letter writer said that because they felt the need to or they've had to step in and advocate on behalf of their child be, mm-hmm. um, in the past, it's easy to become or to feel yep. like that mom or that parent. But when you have... A seven-year-old, they oftentimes have a hard time advocating. Some seven-year-olds have a difficult time advocating for themselves even at home, right? So the need right. to defend your right. child or to speak up for them when it comes to their teachers can be uh, a lot more intense than when dealing with a big kid. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think that somebody could do a whole podcast about how to adequately advocate for your kid, right? So for me, I get to see it kind of from both ways from an interpersonal level being in the classroom and then from a policy level at the board. And as you can imagine, when you bring folks kids into it, people are obviously as they should be incredibly passionate. So the key thing that I want folks to know is that you are never that mom for advocating for what your kid needs, especially if you're a parent of color. So you are a mom and that is your job because the system is set up not to reflect the lived experiences of black and brown people. And so you need to advocate for your kid or else nobody else will. And they'll experience trauma at a very young age. So don't wear that as, you know, uh, a badge of shame or anything. It needs to be a badge of honor because that's what we need. I think that additionally, when we're talking about like, what does advocacy look like? Then we we just need to have straight up conversations and realize, and, and again, I'm speaking introspectively from a teacher's perspective. We have to realize, especially for our families of color, and I'm just speaking from that lens because that's the lens that I have, that the educational system has failed so many of us K-12, right? And so when folks are coming advocating for their kids, they are also advocating for themselves in a lot of respects and all of the trauma that was done to them that they're not trying to see repeated on their child. And so we need to be more accommodating as a system and prepared to engage folks in these types of conversations, because if not, we're removing a lot of that educational agency that we teachers are begging parents on a regular basis to have, right? We always are quick to say, well, if these parents were more involved or if this family did X, Y, and Z, but then when we we all start singing a different tune, when we have somebody's mama show up ready to raise hell because we've been mistreating their kids. 
So we need to really put our like our practices where our mouths are and realize as a system, there are so many avenues in terms of communication that we need to do better and we need to approve. And until we do that, then we need to stay quiet and continue to support you know, black women, black families, other families of color when they come in and take time out of their busy day because they're probably working two and three jobs trying to make ends meet. We need to do everything that we can to support working families and make it more accessible for them to have conversations with us and not anxiety inducing thinking, oh, here comes another conversation with X, Y, or Z teacher. I think it's so nice to hear a teacher like encouraging that kind of communication, right? Like if that's the anxiety. Yeah. Amy, on, on since you teach older children, how with older kids who often like are learning independence and you want them to be handling this stuff on your own, but you're also like a concerned parent, like how can the parent walk that line? How do you walk that line between, you know, the child's independence and communicating with the parent? I think that if there is anything that is very sensitive, that the parent should communicate that early on. Assume that the kid is not going to tell the teacher. Mm -hmm. I was reading that letter and, you know, I thought this parent should just talk to this teacher and say exactly what she wrote, you know, or he, I don't know who it is. You know, my daughter is really shy and has a hard time asserting herself, which has led, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a mama bear or a daddy bear and I have fiercely defended her and I have, you know, I have messed up in the past and I, you know, I mean, this is all the human experience. And so, and teachers understand that. And teachers don't know what is sensitive and what's not. You know, I had an experience a couple years ago. I was new to a school. I was talking to this girl and her last name in my records in our school system was different from the one that she would put on her papers. And I said, oh, we have this other name. Can you use that one? Right? I, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was traumatic for her mm. because I was bringing up a family issue that I had no knowledge of. And I felt horrible. The parent emailed me and I was like, I had no idea that it would bring this up. Right. I, I wish I had known. Yeah. Teachers just can't know everything. So I think the the earlier the communication, especially about really sensitive topics like that, is really important. And then I would talk to your kid about, do you want to speak up for yourself? Do you want me to advocate for you? Because I will. I will do that for you. You know, make it clear that you will advocate for them. And encourage them to to advocate for themselves if they if they can, because, you know, let them know teachers are people, too. They don't know everything. They can't know everything. They don't you know, I have one hundred and ten students. So it's you know, it's just impossible to learn every detail about every mm -hmm. life that I'm interacting with. But we do need to know these things. So frequent communication, early communication. Uh, you asked before, you know, how do you feel about parents that jump in and communicate this stuff early? I love it. It is very, very helpful for me, for parents to do that. Briefly, could you talk about some ways that parents can be respectful of the boundaries that teachers quite necessarily have to put up for themselves between the families that they work with and, you know, their personal lives? And also, I, maybe not just boundaries, but like respectfully engaging, you know, when there is a challenge or perhaps before there's a challenge and wanting to get in front of one and also holding space for the fact that teachers are also living through a pandemic, right? They've lost people. Yes. They've lost their way of life. Their work has changed. You know, you all are going through this just as we are. And so how would you like for parents to engage you all into coming into this very challenging uh, new set of circumstances this year? Assume everybody's doing their best, you know, like 
just assume that everybody's struggling and everybody's doing their best. You know, I was so excited because my boys were going to go to kindergarten. And for the first time, I I was, you know, not going to have to pay for childcare. And now I'm having to, you know, pay for childcare so I can do my job. Right. My school actually set up childcare for teachers' kids. It's like, you know, in the gym, everybody's six feet apart. They're allowed stand and stretch breaks. And I have two kindergartners, one of whom has Down syndrome, you know, so that's not going to work. That's just not good. They're supposed to be on their on their Chromebook the whole time. It's just not going to work. So I have to pay for childcare. I can afford a certain amount, but some of the time my kids are just going to interrupt my Zoom classes, you know, like my kids are going to have needs that I have to address. And I, too, I just want the parents to know that I know that they are doing their best. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that they are engaging with their kids learning as much as they can, given the circumstances. I know the kids are doing their best with their capacity for online learning and their capacity for, you know, isolation and focus and, you know, all that stuff. So I think just a lot of grace is helpful at this time. With this Zoom learning... Do you think that that communication is even more important also to like be letting you know where the parent is in things? Like, is that something you guys want to know? Is that something like I can't handle a hundred conversations about whose like problem is whose? Or this is a situation where like you'd rather us provide you guys with more information than not enough information. If we don't start reframing the conversation about what remote learning is, then we're going to miss a huge opportunity here, right? Because one of the big things that we've at least been struggling with, not only in Seattle, but in the district where I teach in federal way, is figuring out how to connect with families even outside of when we were in a pandemic. And I really do think with so much more technology that is flowing into our students' hands, so many more various programs, things like that, if we don't start shifting the conversation to thinking about like, okay, we need to figure out the access to make sure that we get everybody online. But additionally, what do these systems need to look like? And what are we learning from this to take forward past this pandemic? Like the fact that I will be able to call one of my students at their iPad and work with them one-on-one is really exciting to me as an educator. I know that like for distance learning, a lot of, you know, for a lot of people, rather distance learning is not the best option. But thinking that we are not going to be in this situation permanently, there's a lot of opportunity here that if we can operationalize the system and figure out the infrastructure that goes with it, yes, it is going to suck right now. But when we come out of it, we're going to have a lot of really cool tools at our disposal to make educating our students easier, but even more so make communicating with their families easier. Because in our district, everybody gets a Microsoft account. Whether you're a student, every student has the opportunity to share up to five or 10 codes with their family members. That way, not only does the student have teams, the parent has teams as well. So if we're thinking about, okay, how do we effectively shoot a message to a parent? How do we get in touch with a parent? Teams allows you to call. It allows you to send messages. It allows you to email. It's a really powerful tool that to be fair, is still growing. I mean, it's built by Microsoft, so it feels like it's from uh-huh. the 90s, but like it will eventually get better, right? And so if we can start realizing that there are so many opportunities here for us to really reimagine and rethink the way that we, that we do things, I think we're going to be in a better place when we get out of this. The big issue is that it's really hard to see past the really terrible job that districts have been doing with distance learning in this moment. And I get that and I understand that, but we as a system, as educators and leaders need to be thinking, okay, yes, this sucks right now, but it's going to be way better when we get out of this eventually. I agree. And, you know, one thing that had not occurred to me 
before is that, you know, there need no longer be inclement weather days necessarily. That's a way to, you know, it could be, you know, that those are just remote learning days from now on, which means we don't have to think about, you know, making those days up at the end. Or I used to have to go to school on Saturdays sometimes when we had too much snow. So that's a, a really huge opportunity that we have to shift something. And in terms of communication, I absolutely think err on the side of too much right now. Mm-hmm. It is overwhelming to open up your your inbox and just have that sort of onslaught. But, you know, think about the million interactions. I mean, Brandon, you've experienced this. I mean, how many times yeah. do you have one second interactions with students during the day, mm-hmm. those add up these mm-hmm. things that we're just not going to have. So it's got to be done uh, electronically. And uh, I think the more times we just electronically touch, yeah. you know, it's going to make a difference in building already, you know, I have my students writing me emails, you know, the get to know you email stuff, and I'm just emailing them back and forth with them. And it's really fun. We're having a conversation already, we're building a relationship. And I just think that part is so important. So err on the side of too much communication, I think. As long as it's all done with grace, right? Like understanding yes. that you're getting emails from 200 people. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Like you're, you're not going to get yeah. an answer back right away. <laughs> not, maybe not right yeah. away. And I mean, yeah. I think that I think additionally, people just need to remember that like, we're all humans, and we are we all seek kindness yeah, and it's yeah. really hard because that seems really finite mm-hmm. right now, especially, you know, with everything yeah. that's going on in our world and in our country, it seems like just one day after another, there's something and something and something. And it, that takes a toll on people. But the only way that we are going to mitigate this looming, what I perceive to be like third pandemic of mental health is going to be to start treating each other with the love and respect that we would want to be treated with, especially in like everyday communications, right? Especially with your child's educator, because like I said, all of the capacity that people have is finite, especially when it comes to kindness. And that's a tough place to be in. There's all this stuff out there, like moms are these terrible, like burdens (laughs) on the teachers because moms get picked apart for everything, right? Right. In general, would you say that like most of your communications with parents are is good and fine? And so if you're a parent doing this, like just keep doing what feels right. And these these like story, horror stories that we hear from teachers and also from parents about these bad interactions in general, are they yes. kind of one offs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know you have 100 parents, so there's two and five offs, but. Oh, for sure. It is the vast majority positive communication. And then you do get these little blips kind of like Brandon said earlier, I don't want anybody to worry about being an advocate for their kid. There's also a way that you can do it that so that everybody feels empowered. You know, I had an email from a dad actually last year that was like, my son got this score. I need more information about this. If you don't provide sufficient color, he used the term color. I guess that's corporate speak for Background. like um, detail or something. <laughs> and, and if you don't provide enough color on this, then I'll have to seek information elsewhere. And I was like, this is my first interaction with this dad. It was like early in the year, I'd had nothing but positive interactions with the kid. I don't know if, if that's normal in corporate, yeah. world, but we're dealing with children. And so we try and be a little bit warmer and not quite so businesslike. Yeah. So just if there's an issue, assume that Again, everybody's doing their best that there's either some sort of misunderstanding that the kid doesn't have the whole story, you know, um, because, you know, that kid, he had gotten a bad grade on a quiz. Well, they were allowed to retake it. You know, they were all right. So So it's like a super easy fix. Assume that there's an easy fix, that there just needs to be some, you know, some sort of 
clarification about. Approaching it like you're a team. Like this right. is someone on your team right. that you're saying like, hey, we have this issue. I'm frustrated right. by it too. Yeah, not like that you're the enemy and it's my child and I against exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. You and I are trying <laughs> to educate your child, your child together. Yeah. You know, that is our Reframe. job together. <laughs> exactly. We don't have to duke it out. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not required, so... And there doesn't have to be a, a bad guy or an enemy here, right? Because there are also right. parents who think it's their job to team up with the teacher against their child, you know, and just assuming the worst <laughs> of their yeah. little one, uh, no matter what the circumstances. True. Yeah. Remind the kids that your parents and I are the team that want to buoy you and help you and bring you along. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, hopefully we have made you letter writer and other parents listening feel good about your communication and going forth to be open and be kind and have a wonderful year. And we're so thankful for your question and we wish you good luck. Thank you, Amy and Brandon, so much for joining us and just letting us hear it straight from some teachers about how we can have an amazing year as a team together, educating our our little ones and big ones. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. And that's our show. If you have a question, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. We'll see you back here in the podcast feed on Thursday. And don't forget to join us next Tuesday for another special bonus episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.